Welcome to this episode of the Think Anesthesia podcast. I am Jamie Byers, the graphic designer and marketing associate for Think Anesthesia virtual veterinary education platform. In this episode, we are interviewing Jennifer Wellborn, an award-winning educator and writer whose work has been published in scientific and trade journals. We will be discussing her debut children's book title, Dr. Rosie Helps the Animals. And we are joined by her consulting doctor, Kyla Gradell, and illustrator, Rosilia Hunt. Welcome ladies. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Would anyone like to give me a brief summary of the book? Yes, I can give you a quick summary of the book. Overall, it's an informational STEM book about a young African-American girl helping animals. That's what it is at its core. The actual plot of the story (laughs) is this young girl named Rosie. She has a mother who is a veterinarian who works in a veterinarian clinic. And she visits her mother very often and shadows her often, works with her with the animal. And one day she falls asleep in the clinic and dreams of going on these extravagant adventures with different species of animals, helping them with their different ailments and afflictions. And I can't say all of it because I don't want to spoil <laughs> That's the gist of it. Perfect. Jennifer, can you give us a bit more information about yourself and what made you choose to base the story off of veterinary medicine? Yes, of course. Thank you. So I have a bachelor's degree in wildlife management. This goes way back now and a master's degree in science education. I've been in STEM for about 40 years in various kinds of ways, teaching. I was in research for a while and, and also writing. And I have several publications in higher ed middle school and going up that I published papers and plays and whatnot. But this is my first STEM children's book. And it's been very interesting and more challenging than I thought, much more challenging than I thought. But it's been such an amazing gift for me to be able to have the time to write this book. And the reason why I chose to do it was if you go way back, this is now going back and Rosalie's heard this story a million times now. My husband, who's a wildlife veterinarian, came back one day and showed me a picture of a real baby giraffe that was being treated at a local veterinary hospital and a bandage on its neck. Later on, I found out the bandage was to keep an IV in, but it didn't matter because at the time I thought to myself, that must be really rough to be a giraffe and have something wrong with your neck. Like that's just a, and then, and I work with, I was working with kids at the time, middle school kids. And I had that mentality about that. And so I'm like, do, do giraffes get sore throats? He's like, yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, do rabbits get earaches? And he's like, yeah. And he said, oh, tight. Yeah, I actually had a name for it. And then do pigs get stomach aches? And yes, it's gastritis. So he, and I started going thinking about these animals that have afflictions that are common childhood afflictions and exaggerated body parts. For, and I kept asking and I, I asked other veterinarians and some scientists. And it turns out that the animals in the book do have these afflictions for real and they're common childhood afflictions. So that was the beginning of why I chose to do it was I, I love animals. I majored in wildlife and I really wanted to write a children's book that would be appealing to kids. So that's the story behind the story, I think. I love that. One of my favorite things about the story is how cute Rosie is uh, (laughs) with her pink hair. I love it. And I also feel any child can relate to her. Can you explain what an any child book is and why it's important for you to write a book from that perspective? 
Yes. And any child book, I'm learning a lot about children's literature. And any child book is categorized as one that the plot is not dependent on the character. In other words, if any kid be in that role and the story still works versus they have what's called own voice. So somebody, for example, Rosalia was talking about, she later on wants to write a children's book from her own voice. And then there's some called Happy Life, where they're Somebody's writing about a tradition that in their family that they're making lot keys or whatever it is. So there's these kind of little niches that books are in. And the, any child book is Ezra Jacks Keats' book, The Snowy Day. It, it can be any kid. And it speaks to the universal things that kids all experience. Watch their parents or they watch adults and they want to feel empowered and they want to go on adventures and they dream big. And all of these things kids can relate to that. So it's in any child book. We have seen now, the book is almost a year old, that in fact, lots of kids relate to it. We have all mm -hmm. sorts of kids. We have a gallery with all sorts of kids that are really engaged in it, which is great. So it's working out that way. And that was our intent, that a lot of kids would read it. All different kinds of kids would read it. So that's what an any child book is. Uh, with that in mind, if Rosie can be any child, why was it important for you to choose an African-American female lead for the story? Well, I'm going to start and then Rosalia can chime in. So when I was growing up, this is, I'm pretty old now. I never had children's books with female characters in it. And I love science and I never, I, there was Ranger Rick. It was like this, I don't even know what kind of animal it was. And I majored in wildlife management and I didn't even know my major existed until I was in high school. So I never had a female, something I would like to be that. And it was, it was a woman or a female character. So it was clear when I started to write the book that even though it's actually based on my husband and his antics, <laughs> that it was going to be a girl, that there was going to be a female character. It started off actually as an adult, and then pretty quickly went to be a little kid. And then, uh, Rosalie, if you could talk about then how she morphed. <laughs> yeah, she started off as an adult, as I said, and it made more sense to just make her a child. But also, I felt like it just made the book more whimsical that way, and just gave it like this childish purity. And it also help kids relate to it more because you know mm -hmm. a child can relate to an adult <laughs> so making her african-american was like a personal choice for both of us it was important that we had a poc lead for the book and then we found out through an article from time magazine dr tr price talked about how there's such a rarity for black veterinarians in the u.s and so it became more than just a fun story it was like wow this is actually an actual problem and there's, I don't know if it's a saying, but I'm going to say it. I feel children books are one avenue or for future careers for children. So it's like what you're exposed to early on can affect the decisions you make later in life. And hopefully through this book, more Black children can see that, yes, they can go into veterinarian work. Yeah. And so through that, there's a scholarship fund called the Jody Blackwell Scholarship Fund for Black veterinarians who want to pursue going to college for that. And yeah, I think we made about three donations to that fund. So we used some of our proceeds amazing. to make donations. That is truly amazing. It seems, Jennifer, you were really selective in your contributors to the story. How did you select your team to make this book such a success? Rosilia was, she was working as a power in my room. This is about four years now. And I had written the manuscript and there was a company in New York that was interested in the manuscript. And I had worked at Macmillan in the 80s, and I knew that if I sent it off, I would lose control over it. And I didn't want to do that. So I thought, I, I'm just going to look for my own illustrator and kind of go from there. 
And as luck would have it, and it really is amazing, actually, that Rosalie was in my room, and she's an amazing artist, as you see in the book. And she was in my room also for the kids to draw science concepts in whimsical but realistic ways. So whenever I would have an assignment for my students to draw something that was a science concept, Rosalia would immediately draw it. She was working with a child one-on-one. -on -one, and then I would always use it and put it under the overhead and say, because I can't draw like that. And <laughs> here, this is what you should be doing. And so I looked at her one day. I had this manuscript in my mind. I said, that's exactly the kind of art that I want. I want somebody that can capture the essence of a science concept and have it be realistic looking, not really cartoonish, but also really whimsical and fun and fanciful. And so I said to her, would you want to illustrate a children's book? And then you said, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was my dream to illustrate children's books. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like a match made in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> so great. we're like, let's do it. And this, so this is four years ago. We've been working on this a while all through the pandemic. And then Dr. Kyla Gradil is, we're related through marriage and she was somebody who had recently graduated from veterinary college. And I really want to talk with her about, we, we really didn't want to have a little girl going around the world treating animals with antibiotics. And like that automatically makes it so foreign for kids that they're not interested in it. So what are some natural things that are used by veterinarians, not as the primary thing? What are reasonable things? And so she was really helpful with that. Um, and she was a clear choice for Somebody who's fresh and new and coming out of veterinary school and really knowledgeable about all different kinds of treatments and things like that. I and then know. there's another team member who's not here, and that is my husband. And he, it, going around the world and, and seeing animals in various ways is actually loosely based on him because he actually has seen his patients by ATV and motorcycle and helicopter, for real. He hasn't gone scuba diving yet. We're not ruling it out quite yet. But that, so I was just like, okay, that's cool. So there's so much of the story that's actually real, which makes it really interesting. We have back matter that talks about what is real and a whole bunch of it is. And that makes it fun for kids. They're like, really, really? You're kidding me? So that's a really cool thing. Other team members, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention them because elementary education is not my wheelhouse or picture books, is I would talk to some early education teachers, daycare providers, run some things by them. And then there was a woman who's a professor of childhood literacy at the University of Massachusetts. And I talked with her a bit about her take on the book and whatnot. So there are people, it was like a writing group for lack of a better word, but I wanted to say, am I on the right track with this? And so those were the team as it yes. was. I think that will roll right into the next question that I think we all want to know is what was so important for the contributors? What was important to you to be a part of this book? So for me, it was so great to see a young girl, especially a young girl of color as the lead character, definitely refreshing. Like Jennifer said, I'm a pretty new vet. I've been practicing for almost two years. I live outside of Toronto in Canada. And I think being a vet is such a great profession. And I think it's so important for kids to get exposure to this field at a young age. My parents are veterinarians. And so that's how I became one. And I started thinking of it, but I think unless you know someone directly, you might, if you want to do as a kid medical profession, you might think of being a human doctor. I think that's the obvious choice, but it's a great, it's a great profession. The other issue is that there's a huge vet shortage in North America, which was made even worse by the pandemic. Cause a lot of people got pandemic 
puppies and kittens to keep them company while they were working from home. Yeah. The shortage is a lot worse. There's almost, there's a stat that there's over a thousand patients for every vet. So we're definitely drowning. So this can get kids starting to think about that early. And then eventually, hopefully we will have a industry that can support the needs of animals in North America. The other reason that being a vet is such a great career path is it involves a lot of critical thinking, a lot of problem solving, like Rosie in the book, she has to use, she has around her. And so I will use to bandage if the owner can't afford a cast, I will use maybe like a sock. So we're always improvising and it's not just about the animals. You're also supporting the human animal bond. And so that is a really important part of the job. And then just from a logistical standpoint, it doesn't take as much school as a doctor, as a human doctor. So you can graduate from vet school and you can just hit the ground running and not have to do a residency and be a GP. And so yeah, a lot less school is always good. (laughs) (laughs) Basilia, what was important for you? For one, it was genuinely like my dream to work in children's book stories. This book, again, isn't any child book. So Rosie, like the story, that's the beauty of it is that any child can see themselves in this role. But for me, like what Kayla said, there's such a huge veterinary shortage and even more so for C. So it's like for children to see, oh, I can do this. And that's like what my ultimate goal is as a future children's book illustrator, as I continue on this journey is to make those stories that have kids saying, I can do this. Look, she did this. I can do it too. There's a lot of times that, especially with Think Anesthesia, where we try to figure out how to get as much reach as we possibly can. And it would be our dream to have something for the children, something that we could share with the kids, because we think that so much of the diversity and just the knowing of what's available to everyone as they grow up, just it starts when they're young. And so I think that's why this book is so majorly important because if I was to see this growing up, I would think about being a veterinarian completely different than I think about it now. My next question then is why did you only choose natural treatments in the story? So again, we wanted it to be a book that kids could really relate to. And I read plenty of really boring science books and we didn't want it to be a really boring science book. And so having something that kids can understand like they know about honey they know about nasal spray they know about boo-boos and band-aids and whatnot that was the in and that was really important we only chose natural treatments and we wanted the back matter now we've revised it to make it clear that we chose natural treatments to make it accessible to children that's not the first (laughs) go-to For a veterinarian, when there's a wound, they don't immediately necessarily put honey right on. And Kyla, I would like you to talk a bit more about that because she does this kind of thing where there's like a first response and then there's other ones. But legitimately, Manuka honey um, creams that are pharmaceutically made exist for veterinary medicine for wound care, legitimately sterile saline solution, legitimately aloe vera lotions and whatnot for topical. And we're talking about minor afflictions. Those are out there. And so, okay, we can do this and it'll be a real thing, but this is not totally fake and it can be used. Like Jennifer said, natural products that are used by Rosie in the book are important adjunctive treatments to pharmaceutical medications, antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, things like that for my patients that I really use. Natural products are specifically important 
to me and in my practice, because they're inexpensive and they're easy for owners to apply at home or even to get at the, you know, the grocery store. And I work at a chain of low income clinics outside of Toronto. And we're the first nonprofit clinic in North America. And we provide accessible care for owners that are in a lower income bracket. And the whole idea behind the clinics is that accessible healthcare for pets is super important, regardless of the income of the owner. The pet deserves good quality care regardless. The reason that these clinics open is because there's a huge financial gap between the care that's recommended. So like the gold standard care that you would get at like a fancy referral center and what owners can actually afford. So we're trying to close that gap. So we practice something called incremental care, where we try to do the best with the resources that the owners have. So it was great for me to indirectly bring awareness to this issue by talking about these more inexpensive, accessible, natural remedies. We loved reading Dr. Rosie Helps the Animals. And so what do you hope this book brings to the industry? So what we're hoping that it brings to the industry in general is reiterating a little bit what I said earlier, just showing kids that they have options, bringing more diversity to children's books, helping the veterinarian shortage and showing kids that, yes, this is a path you can go on. I'm a firm believer that when you expose kids earlier to things, they think about it later on. Me, I have a bachelor's in linguistics. And so I learn all about how children acquire language and what makes things stick for kids. Basically how they go from one stage to the next, the milestones for them. And children's books are just such a huge avenue for not just learning language, but also learning about different navigations of life in general. So this is just another way to help give kids options and also girls options too, because fundamentally, this is for young girls as well. Being a vet and being in vet school, there was a huge underrepresentation of people in color in my vet school. Like I'm from a class of 120 and I think there were two people of color, very underrepresented. So my hope is like Rosalia was saying, kids see Rosie and feel like it's possible for them to be vets as well. And increasing the visibility of people of color in this profession will create a more diverse profession. But overall, I think that diversity makes our profession stronger. So that's my hope. How can we help promote the book and what's your next plan? <laughs> we we have a small publishing company and marketing is really grassroots. Even so, the book has taken off. It's become very popular in a very short time. And we're quite proud of that. So what we're looking at is different avenues of places where this book can show up. And we'll talk about education wise, but um, we've contacted Reach Out and Read, which provides books to pediatricians offices. And this could be in a pediatrician's office and then veterinarian offices as well. So we're looking for somebody, grant money or whatnot to procure these books where they can be out. And so vet offices, zoos, pediatricians offices, children's hospitals. We have a children's hospital in Chicago that has the book in their library right now. Kids love it. So there's just different ways. In addition to consumers, grandparents, doting aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters that like to buy the book for their kids. So possibly whenever there's a trade show that there could be books there, we could figure out a way that books can be visible to people either via social media or actually in real copies that are given in any veterinary hospitals or something like that. So 
support the book out and get as much visibility as possible. It really has a lot of potential, but it has to get out there in, in full view. So what are the next plans for you, Jennifer, and the team? What's coming up? I guess the big part is trying to help out our social media. Again, it is pretty fresh. We actually are having a Spanish-English bilingual version that'll be launched April 29th, which is this year's World Veterinary Day. Last year's World Veterinary Day was when the original book was launched. So that's in the works. We have it translated now and it's going to be going to the book formatter. And then we are developing an online two-day lesson that is a standards-based lesson for elementary school teachers, K through two. Standards-based means that the book aligns with what they're supposed to teach in science, and it perfectly aligns with it, which is beautiful. And it integrates science and art and literacy. And it's, we're intending for it to be turnkey so that next fall, teachers can come to a website that we've yet to develop, and they can access this lesson and then we're hoping to get a grant to have free books so that it's entirely free. So everybody can access it no Amazing. matter where they are. They can get a classroom book. They can have the free curriculum. And we've had it field tested now. And there's six local classrooms that are going to be part of a pilot coming up. But it's already been field tested. So the idea is that Rosie's shown the kids how to help animals when they're sick. But there's lots of ways you can help animals when they're not sick. And so the kids then, they get a little Rosie sticker. And they put it on a paper and then they show Rosie how they've helped the animals. And they do a drawing. It's a real kid drawing. They're adorable. And then they either themselves or have somebody else scribe what kind of animal they helped, how they helped it. And then it goes back to the standards, which K through two national science standards are what do animals need? I fed my kitty cat because it needs food to live, right? So they go back and they're reiterating the science standards. And then so there's a literacy and an art component. And so what we're looking is to have then a gallery um, with consent from parents and whatnot. We can, we're not gonna show kids faces at all, but their artwork that's gonna be up on the gallery, which will, we know will be adorable already. <laughs> it will be, well, that's amazing. It sounds like we got some good stuff to look forward to coming down the pipeline. Yes, that's our yeah. hope. Thank you, Dr. Kyla Gradell, Ms. Wellborn and Rosilia for your work and perspective it provides to our young community of learners. To our listeners, we know you have many educational opportunities available, and we thank you for listening to this episode of the Think Anesthesia podcast.